What is the Podcaster Matrix? The Podcaster Matrix is your source for podcast media hosting. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. Shield. It's an organization that both exists and doesn't exist all at the same time. For those in the know, SHIELD, the Strategic Homeland Intervention, Enforcement and Logistics Division, is the counterterrorism and intelligence agency run by Director Nick Fury. Its global reach, with thousands of operatives with differing skill sets across the globe, continues to grow. SHIELD's activities have been documented for a long time, both in comic books and feature films. Those legendary tales now transfer to the smaller screen in a weekly series on ABC via Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a chronicle of the findings of a crack team of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. This is the detailed review of those chronicles. Set your life model decoy to take care of life's business for now. It's time for another episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast from Two Guys Talking. It was a dark night in the podcast studio. The air was sultry, thick with anticipation, doubt, and thoughts of the future. No one knew what the next step would be, but we, well, we were sure that there was nothing good that waited for us tomorrow. The microphones are surrounded with the misty waft of cigar smoke. The drink? Bourbon. Neat. Who knows where all the... All right, that's enough of the noir for the intro, but only the start of it inside this episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming. It's time for the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a complete, detailed, and always educational review of each and every episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming. This time, it's our review of Season 7, the final season, Episode 4, Out of the Past. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Man, a ton to get to, but first some quick housekeeping. Puppies! Nick, who doesn't love puppies? You love puppies, don't you? I do. Cool. Well, I know all of our audience members do as well. And recently, another program over at the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network did a feature on puppies. If you've got a puppy... If you're getting a puppy or are interested in getting a puppy, well, I got to tell you, you got to listen to the most recent episode of the Animal Academy podcast where host Allison White talks about puppies galore. She's got a new golden retriever puppy that all of you are going to die for when you look at it. Check it out right now over at AnimalAcademyPodcast.com. A link is also in the show notes for this episode. No, not that Friday the 13th. We've talked about it a couple of times that Nick and I do another podcast that, not so strangely, has a format very much akin to this one, except that it deals with something completely different and devilish. Oh, yes. It's the Curious Goods podcast, which is where Nick and I review each and every episode of the 1980s cult classic show, Friday the 13th, the series. Now, I know before all of you are thinking, oh, yeah, stabby knives and... Sex having teens murdered on campsites, right? No, that's not what this show is about. This is a show about cursed antiques and the recovery of them. Ah, I see the collective nod now that you have actually seen at least one episode of this show. Well, guess what? 
There is a fantastic podcast that reviews each and every one of those episodes. And guys, they're, they're a ton of fun. As much fun and detail as Nick and I go into inside this podcast for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we dig super deep, providing you a retell of each of the episodes and then a good and bad list for each of those episodes. And I want you to go check it out right now over at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. You'll find all of the seasons that we've done so far, along with some very special episodes coming out that I don't want you to miss. Go check it out over at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Nick, it's fantastic to have you back live inside the studio. Good to be back. Thank you. You've come back for a stellar episode that we can take into noir mode, dutch all of the angles, and make black and white. That's right. I've come out of the past. Sponsored by Acoustica's Mixed Craft Recording Software, Blogger's Bug, and the St. Charles Office Center. Hotel Roosevelt. Dude, this was spectacular. The only thing more spectacular? To find out that this is an actual hotel that you and I can go and visit right now and have all the same scenes inside of the same set that they had. It it is amazing. The, uh, the, The website, which we'll link to inside the show notes... It has every single vision that you see inside of this episode everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's spectacular. It is a walk back in time and was the perfect platform for much of this episode inside this episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, when we get to actually use real-life locations that are steeped in history, it always adds an extra layer of awesome sauce to Agents. Yeah, as well as just being a physical place something that we talk about regularly inside of the curious goods podcast mm-hmm. also where when they're able to go out on location to a real place right. as opposed to being either featured on the same backlot canadian block of the store <laughs> or the same backlot canadian back alleyway of the same said store area when they when they're able to go someplace like a oh, like the monastery the monastery is a really great sample it adds completely different flavor, and all of that happens inside this episode throughout the whole episode. The gumshoe flavor. This is easily one of my favorite parts about this episode, is that it's got that the, the same characteristic that was used very often inside of the TNG holodeck episodes where no, they yeah, featured yeah. the 40s slash 50s private detective gumshoe time with the with the voiceover and the, you know it was a was a dark night inside the studio all that all that was all used here wonderfully the the best part of it all what's it's ellen colson doing it right and so you're instantly in the allure mode you're listening you're absolutely paying attention and then uh, the gorgeous pacing that's featured inside this episode all of it works like a wonderful sandwich just continue taking bites inside this episode i don't think this episode would have worked the way that it did if the narration wasn't ellen colson Oh, I agree. It, it had if, to be him. Uh, worse yet, if it had no narration and you're just watching it happen. And if it was just in black and white, well, yeah, that would just be... Yeah. Eh. I, I loved all of this. I thought it was really, really well done. Another new title card and breaking a fourth wall. So there's another title card change inside of this episode, which I loved. 
Uh, I've loved them since the beginning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is another great one. But then what we've also got is we, you almost have L.M. Coulson almost breaking the fourth wall and that he's talking to the people watching the episode as opposed to talking about history to the people that might accidentally be hearing the story. Right. And I, I enjoyed that. It was fun to laugh because, ding, 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 it's L.M. Coulson. That is not Phil Coulson. He is not telling a story. It is it is an animated robot that is telling us the story and then breaking the fourth wall. I really got a, I got a kick out of that. It's very short. It's not pointed. And it, it speeds right by again because of the pace inside the episode, but it's perfectly done. Well, and it's covered up by a malfunction. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's, not, that's, how, that's <laughs> the whole reason right. why this whole thing is happening. Is yeah. He even says, all the color is drained out of my life. <laughs> Because of a malfunction, and I have this buzzing in my head, and it, and by the end I, of the episode, we find out it's the interior monologue. So, because he's been recovering from being shot. Well, no, he was he was recovering from being hit by the EMP at the end of the previous episode. Mm, okay, he he wasn't quite right when he clicked back on. Mm. That's why everything was in black and white, and for one reason or another, he had an interior monologue going on mm. I, I love it either it's, way it's it's he, kooky it's comic booky but it's agents of shield yeah and it's lm colson so it works tethering history and braving the past this was tremendous and it's not just because we're talking about a character that we're dealing with now and one that we i consider him beloved uh, I'm certain that a lot of people wouldn't have been able to name Agent Sousa before we saw him again and they said his name. Mm -hmm. But the fact is that he's a piece of the legend of at least this show. And as this piece of the story develops, we find out that not only is he a piece of the development of Agent Carter, not only is he a piece of the development of this season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., he is literally one of the building blocks of S.H.I.E.L.D., because he dies. Yeah. I love it. I, I love it not just because, hey, let's kill people because that's cool. It evokes that something special inside of his internal story. And as we get progressively further along inside the story, it becomes even more impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Engaged in three and a half minutes. What else can I say? <laughs> uh, we, we talk about it every episode for the last four, five seasons of this program. We talk about the glorious pace, and this episode is a speeding bullet of story that hits every single tone that it needs to and is sprinting in literally three and a half minutes. Yeah, oh yeah. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. There is zero drudgery. There is no waiting for anything. Even the new title card that they give you, you there's nothing to wait for. Uh, there, there is. It's not that there's no break. It's that the pace is given to you so deliciously, you don't have to. Th there's nothing to wait for. Yeah. I I'm trying to think of another program that intentionally gives us a break. Uh, I I I how about we do this? I'll give you two samples. One is NCIS. Are you familiar with NCIS at all? I've heard of it. I've never watched it. Okay. NCIS typically has, especially in the later seasons, they have where the story will will continue and then as it comes to a break all the color soaks out of the out of the out of the image and either freezes or slows down 
with a with a tone of some kind. Mm. It's not unlike what we do with two guys talking style content, frankly. Okay. Where there's a there's a definitive tone or something happens or something visually happens to denote that you've just either finished or begun a segment. Usually it's the it's the finish for them. And that is glorious. I love that. I it that if you think this show works fast, that show is a speeding bullet from the time of inception of the episode. NCIS has always had their game on in regard to storytelling, the character development inside of fast-paced storytelling. Mm-hmm. It, it really is a great show for that. On the other side of the coin, we have something like, I don't know, The Bachelorette. Yes, believe it or not. No, I'm not a viewer. Thank you. Please don't pelt me with fruit, Nick. Put that, put that tomato down. This is my lunch. Right. I'm not a viewer, but my wife is definitively a viewer. And so having to accidentally have to endure slash play the doting husband during several episodes because I want to spend at least some time sitting next to my wife watching this crappy show. That show sucks. It's so unintelligent and it, it means nothing. It's so superfluous. It, 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 is, it is plastic. And every time it's time to push to break, you can. It, it, they don't even have the the spool up music, but it should be there, because it's time to go to break. And where's the music? Except there isn't any. And hey, look a break. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And what this show has done now for multiple seasons, it allows us to. If there was no break, it wouldn't make any difference. Right. That there is at least inside the Hulu presentation, there is where I don't have the commercialist version. I do. Do you really? Yeah. And so you dig it then? Yeah. Anyway, the pace of this show continues to be stellar, and this episode cultivates the pace as a piece of the storytelling perfectly. Just a dude, a bartender, a drink, and a ringing phone. (laughs) This was fun. You and I had talked about eventually being able to see Enoch again, Tending bar, uh, hopefully providing a drink to someone that we're familiar with, and then eventually meeting the team again. Well, we got most of that. We got a little bit of it. Yeah. And I think they intentionally found a dude that kind of looks like older Patton Oswald, except that it's not him. Oh, no, no. Totally different character. Somebody complaining about his job. Yeah. One of the pieces that I really love about this is in the, inside the drawer, not only is there like a you know, a, a a little plastic coffee can filled with MacGyver, soon-to-be MacGyvered stuff. <laughs> There's this whole device. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised it wasn't your talking tech moment because it's a, it's, it's a phone oh, rerouter. Oh, we're going to get there. Oh, okay, but okay. The, the, I, it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful that he's got it all prepared and ready was easily one of the most delicious pieces of the episode. And I, the the only thing better is something else we're going to talk about later on. So I'll save that. But uh, that was tremendous. And that again, that we get to meet him again behind the bar. <laughs> it was great. It was great. Yay for Gugaz. Here we go again. Are we going to do it again? We're going to do it again. It's a sequel, folks. It's a sequel because inside of this, there's at least two of them. How about them apples? We're going to have the, the first Gugaz, the inside-the-drawer master telephone operating system of one Enoch operator, switchboard operator, and another one is the 
the not Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> I don't even know what to call it inside the inside the briefcase. Uh, but hey, oh, the gadget. They keep calling it a gadget. It's like <laughs> that's a. It's, it's, it just looks like a chunk of metal. Yeah, it, it may as well have been three shells inside <laughs> inside the briefcase, right? right? And uh, I I love it. I love it. I love all of it. I, it. It fits perfectly into what we're talking about here inside of the noir stuff, where you know it's it's the item or whatever the whatever they would say inside the storytelling. I really I really dug that. Again, it goes back to having yet another Yuga. Strangely appropriate culture card used inside this episode. For those that have been listening to me podcast now for it's 16 years now, something that we struck on inside of my original podcast, the 24 podcast was that 24 was a show that somehow inside of the narrative of modern day terrorism and Jack Bauer, the hero of that show impacting terrorism. I mean, that's, that that's what the show was. Right, yeah. Uh, somehow inside of there, they were able to ride the timeline of news so that when something was talked about inside the show that was recorded at least half a year ago, it somehow was appropriately placed. Mm. Well, inside this episode, we have a wonderful repartee between Deke and Yo-Yo that is spectacular. For those that are listening to this either much, much later or you choose to not imbibe in the in the television awesome that is currently television news, we have some very significant protesting, riots, problem with law enforcement, racism, tie, all of it. We, we have lots and lots of problems. And the constant nugget of racism, of sexism, and unjust activity are all addressed in inside of what I think is a spectacular back and forth between Deke and Yo-Yo. And it's because it's understated and because they don't beat you over the head with it. Right, right. It's something that we've talked about a couple of times inside of a bunch of other programs, and it is so appreciative. But they've somehow harnessed what is happening now inside of a script that they filmed, shot, and put in a can over a year ago. Right, right. Over a year ago, taken care of, yet it's... It's the social commentary of today, yeah. which I yeah. feel has, for me, made watching this season feel that much more important. Oh, I agree. Because even though they had no idea that what's happening currently in the world is, it was going to happen, it still mattered to bring it up. Yeah. Because it was a story element. You're traveling back in time. How are you not going to talk about this? Yeah. Especially when you have such bold characters mm -hmm. who are both women and of minorities. I mean, you, you can't not talk about it. Yeah. But the fact that they can talk about it and not make you feel like you're being lectured or it's now the whole point of the story. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you can actually put a message into a story and not beat somebody over the head with yeah. it. I, you know what I would equate this to? It, it, it's something that gets talked about a lot where, you know, if we could just have a world like Star Trek. And I, I don't subscribe to most of that because, guys, if we had the Star Trek world that everybody talks about when they talk about Star Trek, that's some pretty boring shit where nobody has any problems, nobody argues, there is no money, 
Well, that's All why the first season gone. of that's why the first season of Next Generation sucked. Right. There were no problems. Correct. Everybody lived in harmony. Right. Where's the peril? Correct. Now, when you go back to the original Star Trek in the 1960s, what they were able to do is lace everything that was modern day America and racism and just about every subject you can think of and lace it through the story so that it still had impact, but it was not beating you over the head. Right. In fact, in many cases, it was incredibly subtle. Oh, it had to be subversive because you couldn't really technically do that on television without your sponsors going... Well, no, I don't agree minute, with yeah. this at all. Yes. Oh, I, wait a minute. It's a sci-fi show? That's an yeah. alien with antennae? Yeah. Oh, it's okay. Do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and really, what it speaks to is how genius the writing of that was back then. Yeah. That and how completely different the writing was back then well, compared right. to what is writing right. today yeah. in almost every show. Anyway, where I was going with the Star Trek thing is that the creation of storytelling wrapping itself inside of a a cultural suggestion or a platform can be done expertly. Mm -hmm. And this is how. Yeah. Trigger discipline. No, I'm not talking about being triggered by anything. I'm literally talking about handling a firearm. Right. Before anybody gets all upset about how Mike, it's a a show about heroes instead of a freaking comic book, blah. I get it. I totally get it. Just know that typically, especially if you're a high-level agent of anything, trigger discipline is not something that is a sometimes thing. It's a required thing because it's a piece of training. And so I I really did want to see trigger discipline here from Yo-Yo, at least, that we didn't get it from a couple of other players inside the episode. Eh, okay, I'm all right with that. But that we didn't get it from her and anybody else that may have shown us that where the finger does not go inside the trigger guard until it's going to be discharged at something you're going to destroy. That's one of the tenets of firearms well, and handling. Right. Uh, it, it was a rub, and it's something I always want to mention as a rub, even inside of our programming that's based on fantasy stuff, because I want all of you to realize that there is a lot of education that's associated with a gun beyond going and paying the several hundred dollars to acquire one and spending 35 to $50 on a box of ammunition putting the bullets in the gun and firing it. There is education that you do need to know and that you should be recognizing even as the most remedial potential handler of a firearm and trigger discipline is not showcased here well. Deke gets clobbered and then shanghaied. (laughs) This was great. And what I loved about this is none of this was stupid. Even though it was kind of that goofy cowboy swing clubbing over the head and he just kind of falls over unconscious, (laughs) which for those that are curious, that's not typically what would happen when you club somebody over the head from behind. Uh, It's very often that that person will probably not wake up, much less just be knocked out and toss him in the back of the car and eventually wakes up later on. But it was all showcased well. And I liked how they use him being Shanghai inside the storyline. I thought it really helped propel not only the general storyline, but it gave us a bunch of peril and X factor that you have no idea how it's going to shake out. Right. Because when it happens, you kind of feel like, oh, goody, Deke has become the damsel in distress Mm, mm. and he has to be rescued. And yeah, I mean, he does have to be picked up eventually by the end, but it's not a oh, I have to be rescued, important plot points 
arise out of Deke being the one kidnapped by Thug One and Thug Two. Yeah. Or as I like to call them, the jaw and matches. Well said, well said. Yeah, the other thing to remember here too is that some really great character moments come from him being abducted and then talking to Freddy later on. I, I, I thought a lot of that was great. The train. Okay, hold on. If you thought that the Hotel Roosevelt was kick-ass, let me show you a kick-ass train. Oh, yes, please. Please give me a kick-ass train. Well, here you are in spades, my friend. All right. Enjoy a glorious-looking train from stem to stern, from the front end of the thing to every single car to the top of the thing with the, with the hovering spacecraft-looking thing, all of it. Glorious. Let me have another bite. Well, the, you, you got to. If you're going to do an episode that is pure noir fan service, you got to have an elegant hotel you got to have a train. I think the only thing that they didn't have was a, a smoky private dick's office yeah. with piles of, of papers and, and a bottle of scotch over bourbon, in the yeah. bourbon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Over in the, over in the corner. That's the one thing we didn't have. And we didn't have LM Coulson smoking a cigarette and letting the smoke billow underneath the brim mm. of his hat and things like that. That would, that would have been a little bit too much. But these are all of the aspects yeah. that you can find in all of those classic noir films. Yeah. yeah. Enoch plays switchboard operator. <laughs> this is great. And again, it's not the blunt, over-the-head, stupid humor part. In fact, it kind of creeps up on you. <laughs> where eventually it just becomes where Deke gives him a call and he just says, Hold on, I'll connect you. <laughs> right. Well, it's the gag. It's the running joke. Yeah. You know, you think, oh, they finally have arrived and contacted me, and now I get to join. Oh, no, you don't You don't want to talk about that. You want me to transfer you. Okay. And that's the way he's treated until Deke calls, of course, because Deke is actually legitimately happy to hear his voice. But by this point in time in the episode- he's scabbed over. He just, he's like, okay, they, they don't care about me. Right. Here, I'll transfer you. Which- I know we're not there yet, but that could bite them in the ass moving oh, forward. Oh, without question. I mean, sure. Being being uneducated sucks in the, well, in the future. Even if he doesn't have <laughs> feelings, there's going to be a... Uh, the thought oh. in his mind is going to be, I'm not a member of the team. I'm just a tool for the team to use. Well, that and there's just a hole of information. Yeah, so... If, if you don't feed him, he can't carry that information into the future and wrap it appropriately around whatever situations arise. So I'm, I'm totally with you. The nondescript, indescribable, unknown-purposed gadget. What the hell, man? <laughs> what is that thing? I want to I wanna open it up, and I need to put some wheels on it and go, hey, Elon, here's your second vehicle. <laughs> and, the, and the thing is, is that the science, science folk, you know, Gemma, Gemma knows what it is. It's historical. Yeah. Yet we don't get any information from it, which is frustrating. Yeah. Because you would think that any of the other characters, like Mac or Daisy, would be going like, so what's so special about this? And then we would get that nice little 30-second blurb of Gemma going, oh, my God, I, well, I can't believe you don't know what this is about. And and we get the exposition scene 
even though it would have been forced exposition, damn it, I want to know what the hell that thing is. Yeah, there's two things that this reminds me of. One is, I remember specifically, and I think it was actually something that a friend of mine wrote. His name is Jim. And Jim uh, was a wonderful dungeon master. Mm-hmm. I remember specifically playing a, a game that a friend of mine and I had invented called Prime Directive Express. It's based on a, a game called Prime Directive, but we shortened up the rules and made some, it's more action-based than sitting there having people tell you cool things. You can actually do things with figures and right, right, right. like dowels as uh, of beams and how far things can, can be shot, blah, all that. Anyway, what I remember specifically is I remember him writing a story that dealt with the item. Hmm. And it was only, that's all you, t- that's all it was talked about. And, you know, it, you know, you have a, a die roll for, I need, I want to, I want to investigate the item and you die roll and it would always come up. Nothing. No matter what number you got, you got nothing. It's just the item. And, so there's that point. And then there is real legitimate usage of that inside of Dungeons and Dragons modules. So it's been used previously. And if, I mean, if you think about it, the item is also used inside of Lord of the Rings, where if no one ever said the word the ring and all they had to do was take this troop of people that are carrying the item to wherever the hell they're going, well, then they'd also have an item. Well, it's essentially every single story. Right. That has a, a journey because there's always an item for the journey. Right. Right. And I, I love this. I love that it's used here. I love that you see it. I love that, ironically, we'll, we'll include a link to it. There's a video that I got today. And, what, did and, you, what did you go? Yeah. And what I'll do is I'll include a link to that, too, because it's very strange looking. Uh, in fact, I won't tell you what that item is so that you have to go and look at that item. <laughs> uh, but it's very cool. And again, it's what the hell is that? Which is exactly what we got here. There's nothing to discern at all what the hell we're looking at when we look at this item inside this episode. Susa is rather clueless on the gent that sits down in front of Coulson as he leaves. I get that it's expedited storytelling, but I thought it was disingenuous that not 10 seconds after Susa stands up, there's a dude that sits down in his chair, and Susa's oblivious. Mm. Okay. Eh. He was more interested in getting the drink. He thought that the job was done, or at least halfway done. Shoddy, shoddy agent work. Shoddy. Good, good. I'm glad you agree. The cinematography is outstanding. I, I think I've heard more people bitch about Dutch angles inside of, especially television. But when you're talking about noir, Dutch angles are a must. Oh, yeah. Anything that is comic book based, dude, throw me some Dutch angles. I have no problem ever with mm. them. And inside this episode, there are a bunch of them. But my favorite one, without question, happens right here. And it's with L.M. Coulson and the Chronicom. Go back and watch this scene again because it is mastery. It is the mastery conversation showcased that if I was going to be doing something like, let's say we were doing our podcast, some video of our podcast, and it was between you and me speaking, this is how I would do it. It is so wonderful to watch. You can't not look at them. 
because of the way the the screen is dutched. And be, also because of what they're saying. I thought that this whole scene was really, really impactful. Mm, yeah. And I, I, I loved all of it, but in particular, the cinematography throughout the entire episode is just way above par. Russian fisticuffs interrupted by a dame and a giant gent. So Daisy and Mac show up inside of the train to interrupt the Russian ass-kicking that Sousa's getting. Yes. And I thought that that was a wonderfully appropriate scene also. They are able to literally save his life, and so so soothed is the guy that wants to do nothing but put these people in prison or find out what kind of Russian commies they are. Well, they just kick the Russians' asses. And I, I super enjoyed this scene because in 30 seconds, they're instantly able to paint glue between all the characters that need glue to push through to the second half of the episode. And also something that uh, is important where noir is concerned is the building of tension. Mm. And mm -hmm. they do that very well leading up to the fight, too, while the car is being cleared out. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Sousa is, quote unquote, distracted by the dame and the drink that they're 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 having. There's that tension that's building is like, oh, he's going to get his ass kicked. Well, the thing is, he knew what was going on. Yeah, he was prepared. It's just it's three on one. The tension is released. When the Calvary shows up in the form of Mac and Daisy. Yeah. So, uh, again, formulaic, though it may be, to follow a genre, it works perfectly. Don't forget, the item isn't the item. Oh, this is a wonderful curveball thrown to us by the Chronicom that sits down to speak with Ellen Coulson. And it makes me instantly curious of what the hell is going on inside this episode. Well, the Chronicom's not stupid. Right. Which is which is good when you have a bad guy. It's, it's good to have a smart bad guy. Yeah. Intelligence inside of the not only the bad guy themselves, but the scheme of the bad guys. I never want that to be stupid. Especially in a show like this, there should never be a time where anybody can go, oh, those people are stupid. And you never get that ever. Right. Well, Even when they're just in the first episode of the season, when they're just kind of plotting Terminators. Well, but they're still not stupid. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I so appreciate that because it's far too rare. Well, this is also where you have to think, what's the plan where the Chronicoms are concerned for the continuation of the mission in this time period? Mm -hmm. Because one would assume it was, oh, let's blow up. We called it Project MacGuffin. Yeah. Uh, blow blow it up, get rid of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s brain trust, and no S.H.I.E.L.D. Okay, well, that failed. But they're still, they're still around, and they're still pulling strings. What are those strings that they're pulling, though? We never get that, except for the fact that we've got lead Chronicom showing up to talk, parlay, possibly even negotiate with Coulson. So it, it leaves a lot to wonder... Are they being genuine, or is it a red herring? Mm. Mm. Back aboard the Zephlorian, did they remove all of the S.H.I.E.L.D. logos by chance? And now, I'm really glad that this was used later in the episode to essentially unveil what the hell is going on, or at least a piece of it, to, to Sousa. But something that everybody should 
should know is that if you go aboard the Zephlorian, if you were to go on board the set, uh, how many S.H.I.E.L.D. logos can we count just by sitting in one room of that place? Yeah, there's a lot of logos. And for one thing, there was never any scene or line of dialogue that said, let's cover up all the logos. So I don't think they did. Because when Sousa leaves on the motorcycle, you can clearly see the S.H.I.E.L.D. logo <laughs> on the wall in the back of the hangar. Yeah. So if he's paying even half, of, half attention... Mm -hmm. You would see that, but I mean, as we as we said earlier, not not much of a, a guy who pays attention. He does not practice the art of unagi. <laughs> That's well said. And I, I I was actually thinking that I'm like, okay. It, it, isn't this the guy that's way up on the rungs inside a shield and wouldn't he the the the, the whole attention span and paying attention thing it, it instantly gets amped up when you get into being an agent of anything right there, yeah. it, it's just the way that it works and so i'm going to call it as expedient storytelling or it just doesn't matter or ding 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 later in the episode it's actually realized wait the shield logo so i, I blew by it I, I i didn't think twice about it especially after they show it later on May breaks again? All right. The mystery of what the hell is wrong with Melinda May finally in this episode starts getting dealt with. Yeah. And it's been yeah. a little annoying since the beginning of the season yeah, I agree. trying to figure out what the hell is going on with her. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that we're finally, with this moment, we're finally getting the... Okay, it's not just a panic attack. There is something else going on. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, she she's taken by Simmons, and there's a little medical diagnostic experiment run. But but this is finally, finally we're getting to the bottom of what's going on with me. Not why it's happening, just what's going on. And I appreciated the fact that they keep throwing us off our guard. Because earlier, when they're all looking at the Guga, the item, May is elated. She's giddy like a little schoolgirl. And I'm like, but, well, wait a minute. That doesn't fit at all. She's this cold, unfeeling person until she has a panic attack. This doesn't make any sense. Well, now it's starting to make sense. Yeah. And, and I feel had they drug this out any further, I would have gotten very annoyed. Mm -hmm. I need answers. I don't have to have them now, mm -hmm. but if I don't get them soon, my enjoyment is going to lessen. Yeah. What I appreciated about this too, and I think we'll be talking about it a little bit later inside this episode is that they also paid off why it, the first time she had a panic attack, quote mm. unquote. Well, no, not really. It's that she was sitting right next to Yo-Yo. And everybody that was fleeing. Right. And, and, and that is the reason. And I love that. Again, it paints a picture without going, okay, here are the black lines of the picture. Here's me grabbing the red marker and filling in the red the red dot. They're able to do that with incredible subtlety while pushing the pace through the storytelling. I thought that was great. Another boss revealed. Now, me personally, Mike, had I been writing the show note skeleton? Now, this, this wouldn't have been called Another Boss Revealed. I would have, I would have written... Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Second boss, same as the first. Because now <laughs> we get to meet a grown-up, mm, Freddy. Freddy Malik. Yeah. 
And it's tremendous. I really enjoyed this character that they got to to play older Freddy. I, I also love that there are no remnants of any kind except for slick back hair. Mm. And I really enjoyed that. I, I, I enjoyed that tremendously because there's a there's a value to hearkening back, but then also sprinting forward and you you can discern that that's him. Yeah. There's no question. All they've got to do is say it, and then he walks out of the smoky darkness, and it's him. Mm. And that's the great thing about the reveal. It's he's completely in shadow until he walks out. And even though he's older, you know, well, shit, that's Freddy. Yeah. Yeah. So Hydra killed Sousa. Those bastards. Yeah. Like we didn't hate him enough already, right? Yeah. But I, I, I love it. I, I love the spaghetti storytelling that this becomes and makes even more bad blood for Hydra. Yeah. In that you want them to get theirs, but guess what? They can't get theirs because we need shield. Right. So I, it's a wonderful stacking element inside this, inside this episode, but also one that is a discovery to what is an alteration to the history of how it's all been written inside of, quote, the history books. Right, right. I think that's incredibly viable inside of this. It's really, really well done. Meeting an older Freddy. Does he recognize Deke? And after the break, nope. This was stellar as well. I'm trying to remember the instance of me meeting somebody that I've already met and then trying to remember back to meeting them 20 years ago and if I would be able to do the same. And I think with most people, I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of people from high school, for example, that I remember talking to, and I would call them a casual friend, but I haven't talked to them in it's 33 years now. And so if I were to see them, could I go, hey, look at Scott or whoever it is. Yeah. And after having looked at several of them, especially some that I thought were even closer, more dear friends, I would not be able to recognize them walking up to me if they didn't look exactly the same. And so I thought about it again. I'm like, okay, so what if, in my instance, what if Scott did look exactly like 18-year-old Scott did, but it's 20-plus years later? Would I recognize him? Maybe, maybe not. It all really depends on yeah. I guess if I've murdered how much enough you've people. got in going on <laughs> yeah. in your life. Yeah. Anyway, it was another great element, another great acting portrayal of now older Freddy and that whole repartee of them I bought in hook, line, and sinker. Being unable to act on knowledge that can and will change the future. You got me. I'm trying to think of the movie that deals in information like this, even on characters I don't even know. Mm that I instantly start caring about. There was a a friend of mine, Dale. Dale had mentioned that uh, he'd evoked my name in one of those goofy challenges on Facebook recently. Right. And I, I usually hate him because I hate the whole time to share text that someone else shared. And usually what happens is I'll, I'll, I'll do the challenge. I just don't end up sharing any of the text because I don't want to. Anyway, uh, the the engagement here in the challenge here was, I think it was 10 films with no commentary. And so I'm assuming everybody that either isn't tethered to me on Facebook or can imagine me saying nothing about a movie, you're out of your freaking mind, really. (laughs) 
So my commentary list, asterisk, feature film reviews via this challenge with Dale have been wonderful. And one that came up, it was the initial one actually, was Ghost Story from 1981. And that movie scared the shit out of me. Hmm. It, it still does. I think about it now in the back, the hair in the back of my head just flies off the back of my head. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, anyway, it was a great movie. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because the knowledge of the future is instantly impacted by these four or five old dudes in that movie of what they did when they were 18. And so just about anything that includes knowledge of the past that impacts the future and then you add in time travel, you got me. I, I'm absolutely smitten on it. I don't think it matters the genre. I don't think it matters what happens. Anytime you start playing with stuff like that, I'm instantly in, all in, just all the chips get pushed in. And so this has got me instantaneously. Your overture of your friendship speech. <laughs> this is tremendous. Enoch, for the win inside this episode, just so simply. He, he, he has so many wonderful lines. His dry delivery is so appreciated. Uh, we, we've already previously talked about how he kind of ekes into the data from the next generation territory inside of this portrayal. And this is what takes him over the data portrayal. Because as data started to feel and, and, and do things, and I, I really didn't like it. I didn't like any of the things that they did inside of the feature films with him, except being the, uh, the, the, the sex slave of, uh, ironically, Alice Krieger from A Ghost Story. Uh, th that's the only thing I appreciated about future data doing anything inside of the feature films. And so his whole feeling, getting feelings, Jordy Chipness, I hated all of that. Enoch has been able to break the precipice of jumping into what is kind of emotional reacting robot guy, and it sells like hotcakes here. Oh, yeah. Because I love data, data was an android trying to be human, wanting to know how to be human. Enoch is an alien who looks like he's human because he's studying humans. For thousands of years. For thousands on of years. End. So in it, perpetuity. It, it, so for, for him <laughs> yeah. to express any kind of emotional range in the way that he does, I feel is a part of the alienness of his race. Mm. Because maybe it's not they're completely unfeeling automatons. Maybe they just process emotion in a different way that we don't understand because we're not alien robots from another planet. A change in the mission. This is great. Again, Chronicom just destroys everything that's going on by announcing that it doesn't make any difference of what's going to happen. And I love it. I, I, is it a giant bluff? Is it not a bluff? I love it. I, I, I can't explain why I love it, but I love it. It works. May is now an empath? All right. She was dead four episodes ago. I, I'm all in. Here are all my chips. Let's have it. And it's given to us in spades. Quickly, concisely, not over the top, where she accidentally walks next to an old elderly lady and now feels curmudgeon and Get off my lawn, bitches! You don't have anything goofy like that at all inside this episode. Right. And I'm so appreciative that they didn't do that. Oh, yeah. Like, like she walks over by Deke and then starts going, Hey, man, 
I can't wait to invent some more shit. I, I'm so glad they didn't bother doing something stupid like that because that's mm. what I don't want with her and her empathic abilities that are being cultivated and or built into whatever's going on with her character. Right, right. I'm glad that we have an answer to what's going on. I'm just looking forward to the explanation. Mm. No, because mm. I get the fact that in the temple, the end of the last season, she was in another dimension. She was in another realm filled with creatures that didn't feel. But it wasn't like she became one of them. So I'm 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 just wondering what the explanation, the, the, the tech explanation is going to be if we get one. I mean, we might not. Mm-hmm. And and maybe I'll be OK ne- with that next season. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Next season. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, I'm just glad that we now have an idea of what's going on, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it's utilized in future episodes, considering the fact that, well, until now, we only got one powered person, and that's Daisy. I don't count L.M. Colson because, mm. you know, robot well, strength. No, I agree. But, I agree. you know, stamina. Yo-yo, we've got... Abilities to... She's got robot hands. Bullets, that's, right. that's, yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah. And she hasn't even been using them at all during the ever since she got him so we, we, I, i'm not saying that i have to have super powered characters on shield it's just nice to have a balance of you know the resourceful people and the powered people because may's never had a power right she was always her superpower mm-hmm. now she's got one and i don't think she's going to handle it very well i agree with that and that's going to be interesting storytelling the lead up to save him and run this is cool. I would not have thought that Sousa would bolt. I, I would not have bet that. I, would, I wouldn't have bet that at all. It doesn't surprise me. He's been on shaky ground with all of them since the moment he's met them all. So mm-hmm. the fact that he's also dealing in the back of his mind, I've got Hydra agents inf- infiltrating S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm the only one who knows about it, and... I'm the only one who can do something about it. I get how he just, you know, decides I'm tired of waiting. Time for action. Agent Sousa, man of action. Yeah. And hey, how about we not lower down the ramp? Well, you know what? I don't know if the ramp was actually down or if he just saw the button that says lower down. ramp and and hit it and then jumped red on the bike. With the, with, the, with the white arrow on the on the red button. Yes. Oh, this this must be what I... Yeah, I'll press this. Boop. Get off my plane. They end up saving Sousa, but don't make a wave. It's one of those things to where I... When this was happening, when they were actually discussing we have to save Sousa, I'm like, well, now you're breaking the rule. Yes. You're breaking the rule. And not just their rule. The rule. Right. It's the rule. Correct. Because (laughs) if we're doing this, then we should have been able to kill Freddy and and just come what may. The thing is, though, is that there's... (laughs) Come what may. There is a loophole. (laughs) A loophole. There is a loophole here. Yeah. And by the end (laughs) of the episode, when that loophole is revealed, I'm like, well, A... Storytelling-wise, it's presented in true noir fashion. Yes. So, points there. No, huge But then the fact that we also go, oh, so you you didn't change anything at all, but in a way, you've changed everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like it's like having it's like starting a chess game and hey, look, an extra an extra rook. (laughs) 
That's what's happened here. Seriously. It's another tool. I get another two piece queens of now. Yeah. Exactly. Because it's exactly, my birthday. That's exactly what's going on here. <laughs> and, and so I'm super curious because what this also does, this actually brings up a really good point. Agent Kip, who has said in on a variety of our podcasts previously as a host, but also just loves to drop me notes to discombobulate me during my day. Thanks, Kip. Appreciate it. He sends across this one. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this week. The whole premise this season is to prevent the alien robots from screwing S.H.I.E.L.D.'s history. This runs contrary to Endgame. You can't change history. Hmm. Wonder if they'll address it. So how about them apples? Well, I have a feeling that we are going to address it by the end of this by the end of this season. When this show is over, before this show is over, I think it's going to be addressed. <laughs> I can't wait, man. Because again, like like how can I possibly find wait, 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 wait. I have to take this ice cream sundae. And filled with delicious, wonderful, salted caramel turtle ice cream. And, oh, I've got to find more space for whipped cream and cherries. Oh, okay, no problem. <laughs> and I love it. I absolutely love it. And all the question marks that are popping open here and there. And I love it. I love all of it. A touching moment between Yo-Yo and Deke. This was a wonderful bookmark at the end of this episode that takes the first glance that they have at the beginning of the episode that was the cultural card moment. Mm -hmm. And it's a wonderful second half of the sandwich as the crescendo of the episode comes and the two of them have this very special moment. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. It's And it's surprising because it's two characters that you normally wouldn't think to put together. Yeah. And yet... They, they see things very much the same way, but have different viewpoints on it. And then by, by the end, by, by this point here, they've both made the decision. It's like, you know what? No. If we've got the ability to change things, let's do it. Because things need to be better. And again, it goes back to the, the crystal ball that the writers must have been looking at <laughs> to be able to insert these these nice little nuggets nuggets yeah. into the storytelling for this season so far that resonate so loudly yeah with current events going on right now in the world yeah yeah the the, the concept of being able to not only come together while initially having totally desperate points of view but to identify the problems, but then sit down and actually talk about them in a in a intelligent conversation. How'd they do that? Yeah. Enoch stayed behind again. Well, you you say stayed behind. He was left behind. Let's just let's just make it clear. He was left behind. Only there because was of no the time, time vortex. Well, you're right. There was no time to rush. To New York, New York from L.A. in the Zephyr, would st the Zephlorian would still take a little while. I get it. What am I talking about? I'm in a time machine. I've got all the time I need. True. Marty had all the time he needed. The Zephlorian does not work That's like right. that. It's working on the wake technology. You're exactly. Right. So right. th Sorry. Th uh, the fact that they didn't even try to contact Enoch and say, hey, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. We can't get you this time around, but maybe we'll see you in another couple decades. Get Western Union to send him a, a communique in 1947. Something. Is your name Enoch? <laughs> yeah. Enoch the bartender? 
<laughs> I got a letter for you. Laying down the facts in true Colson fashion. This is that noir bit that you're talking about where L.M. Colson is able to deliver the noir backstory step by step that I love inside this episode. Where I hated it was the Sherlock Holmes films with Robert Downey Jr. Really? You didn't like those movies? Red Hot Hate. Wow. And maybe it's just because I'm stupid. You know, who knows? <laughs> but what, what I hated about those movies was like the, 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 end of the, the end of the movie, he tells you everything that's happened except for this one piece that you would have never thought of ever. But because he's Sherlock Holmes, he's deduced it and put it in quick and then read you through the sample of the fix of the story in the last eight minutes. Oh, thanks. <laughs> How about how about showing me instead of telling me? Does, does that not make any sense or not? Eh, I don't watch the Sherlock Holmes movies for the deductive reasoning. I watch it because Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law are just magic together on screen. Interesting. I, I, I'm gonna. I, I tell if you. If I want to watch a true detective story, I'm gonna watch something that's that's not big budget popcorn movie <laughs> that features Robert Downey Jr. I, I agree with that. In fact, but I, what I will do is I will go back and rewatch it. Just because of your suggestion. All cool? Right. All right. All right. Deal. Sousa learns all about life after death. This is great. And he took it really, really well. Yeah. And and I appreciate that he is, you know, again, the looking glass of this show and the writers. How, how does one look upon their career in law enforcement and know what good is? And the answer is that there's something other than just knowing good. There's a piece of integrity. Yeah. And that he's able to harness that and put that in the front rather than, oh, my God, my life is over is a big freaking deal, dude. Seriously. It is. It is. But we don't spend a lot of time with him after he gets the news. So I'm I'm hoping moving forward that we'll actually see some culture shock and adjustment to the fact that. Yeah. My life as I know it is gone. Yeah. And I have to adjust. Now, how well will he adjust? And that's what we're going to look forward to in the coming episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. But, I mean, as of right now, he seems to be handling it pretty well. Yeah. But this is the loophole. It's he dies still in the history books to mm -hmm. the world. He is dead. But he gets to live and has to exist outside of his existence and that is literally in my mind the only way that you get to cheat in playing with time because you're not making a wave because the history books still say he's dead so you haven't made a wave and i love that i love the technicality that they get around by doing this yeah i'm yeah. interested to see how much more of that line they keep walking, though, as we travel further and further into the present. Yeah, yeah. The Chronicoms will provide secret knowledge to foil the future? Very interesting. What I also loved is that rather than springing forward and we focus on all of the springing forward again, at least one stays behind. Yeah, yeah. Makes you wonder what the the new altered plan is, or 
is this Chronicom going rogue and doing it his way? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I have no answers. Well, what I also love, too, is that rather than getting the maniacal, literal mustache twirl from Freddy, you get this perfect expression. And again, I, I love who that, I don't know who that actor is, but he did a stellar job of being Freddy inside this episode. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that is it's 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 another piece of the puzzle that needs to not only work, it needs to be really believable. Right. And I get total believable off of Freddy. The end episode credits feature noir music. Nice touch. This is tremendous. This is where they have no obligation to do any of this. They've had they've had credits music for six and a half years yeah. to just layer in and throw. And they don't just do that. They add it in here. And again, it's a it's the polish. It's the it's the I give a shit part of what they're doing with this show. Even in its last season, in its last it's not it's not last gasps. But it's literally the last pieces of the puzzle that are being laid down. Right. Where this could just be the same freaking song that you've heard every single episode, except it's not. Yeah. I'm so appreciative of things like this, and I love it when they take the time to bother on stuff like this. We're running super long inside of a great episode review for the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. It's time to take a break. We will be right back. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The one question every podcaster needs to ask themselves is, why am I still editing my own podcast? We all know that editing your own podcast is the worst part of the podcast experience. Get the editing off your plate and reclaim more time to make more content with the Editor Core. Affordable, talented, experienced podcast editors are ready to take your podcast literally to the next level to make it soar. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. For most, Friday the 13th means Jason Voorhees. What a lot of people don't know, however, is that there was another Friday the 13th, the television series. Join your podcast hosts, Mike and Nick, as they review the search for cursed antique goods during a perspective review of Friday the 13th, the series. It's the Curious Goods Podcast. Check it out now at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Everyone, welcome back to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a complete, detailed, and always educational review of each and every episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming. This time, it's season seven, the final season, episode four, Out of the Past. 
Every time we come back from break, it's time for Nick and I to open up our S.H.I.E.L.D. dossiers. Our S.H.I.E.L.D. dossiers is where Nick and I find a striking actor's portrayal, a storytelling element, or something else inside the episode that tripped our collective review night fantastic. Nick, what do you got? Well, I'm going to do something a little bit differently with my no dossier. Way. Oh, yeah, I've got to. Uh, my dossier is going to have red in it. Oh, my. My dossier is actually going to be Nick picking the noir style of this episode. Really? All right, let's uh, hear it. I know, I know it's, it's, you, you're amazed because no, I've I'm been not going to vault it. the desk yet. I understand that it's a television show, so you have to encompass everybody. The thing, though, about noir, the whole reason why noir is a certain style of genre, and it's not every piece, but the majority of them does have the central character, which does have the interior monologue that the audience gets to hear. All right. Now, the interior monologue is the it's the first person perspective, which means your character is in every scene. He is experiencing mm. what's going okay. along, what's going around. Yeah, yeah, I follow you. Okay, now that explains why, through Coulson's eyes, the color has drained out of his world. Well, I mean, it's it's the programming. You know, he's not he's he's got a glitch. But we have scenes that revolve around other characters that are still in black and white, where Coulson is nowhere to be found. Right. The, the train liquor scene. The train, anytime they were on the mm -hmm. Zephyr before they saved Sousa. Mm. There was a lot of times where, hell, the whole stuff with Deke and older yeah. Freddy. Yo-Yo and Deke in the- uh, All of that stuff. All of it, okay. And again, I'll say it again. I get it's a television show. So you're, you're, you're paying homage to the noir style. So your entire episode is in black and white, except for your last two minutes that gets put back into color. I get it, but if you're going to go, if you're going to go through such leaps and bounds to make it feel and look like real noir, Dutch angles, the the interior monologue, the way everything was framed, the the, the pacing of the show, the reveal at the end, the ah, but this is what you didn't see, then you should have found a way. You could have found a way to make it work with an interior monologue going. I later learned that Deke and Yo-Yo were hoofing it across town to find the real scientist. Then it's secondhand knowledge, and you're just pretending that he's telling you the story. But they didn't do that because everything else that didn't have Coulson in it was handled just like a regular episode, but in black and white. Even though I love the noir angle that they took here, they didn't go all the way. And I, I have to call him out on that. I, I don't want to, but I have to. And that is my S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier. I, I think I shall legitimize your nitpicking there. Oh, I thank you. You're welcome. I'll, I'll, let, it, I'll let this one pass. That's fine. You're far too kind. <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, the, 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 if you got to pick, that's absolutely something to pick on for this episode. I think inside my S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier for this episode, I have to go with... The mystique of one Agent Sousa. Agent Sousa was already kind of the the hobbled black sheep inside of the Agent Carter series mm -hmm. 
where while inside of the process and working directly with Peggy Carter inside of that, nobody gave him the respect for that. They obviously at the beginning didn't have the respect for her. Right. And so he, if it wasn't just because guilt by association, then it's just, well, it's, it's the guy with the gimp. Well, yeah, think about it. I mean, he was just as much of a Boy Scout as Steve Rogers was. Oh, without question. The only difference is he was wounded in war. Right. And now, oh, well, desk job, you're no good to us out in the field. Yes. Well, guess what? Yeah. And I, I appreciate that without having to put on a uniform with only dialogue, and especially inside of this episode, the noir, I don't know what. <laughs> It, it say noir. Yeah, it's it's so wonderfully done, and I, I think what I remember most from this episode is seeing the the first silver star inside of Shield HQ that says Susa on it, mm. and how impactful that is because it matters, right? And and then being able to to drag history that we've never known anything about that instantly layers into an incredibly dynamic, robust story world of the MCU instantaneously without any hammering or carpentry required, I think is a stellar move inside this episode. And yeah. it, it absolutely is my my dossier moment inside of this. It's where we ask you guys, what was your dossier moment inside this episode? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's agentsofshield.tv. Fill out the quick web form. And tell us, what was your S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier for this episode? Ah, the rating for this episode. Season 7, the final season. Episode 4, Out of the Past. The scale works thusly. A 10 is on top of the heap. Actually learning what the Gugod does inside this freaking episode. What is it? A 1 is on the bottom of the scale. Being shot in the back, yet somehow drowning in a freaking pool. <laughs> Everything starts at seven as an average. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick? There are no halvesies. Nick, what do you got? For me, this was a fun episode. This is definitely oh, yeah. this is definitely way more than just an average or even an above average episode. They did so much to pull off a style that quite frankly does not get enough attention anymore i agree in storytelling uh, i mean you have to go back and watch some of those classic films to get any kind of real appreciation for it we've got 43 minutes for this episode and every single minute is spent on point whether it be the noir aspect of lm colson's story whether it be the the, the mystery of who is trying to take out the scientists and, you know, Deke running into grown-up Freddy. Everything matters. But I'll direct everybody back to my dossier. I cannot get over that one ding. So I have to rate this episode a nine. Well, in that case, your your ding is terrible. No, I'm kidding. My ding the, is validated. It is it's validated. on this podcast. You can't <laughs> take I it said back. It. Oh, damn. Okay. The, the value of this episode is easily crowned with noir. We know that. Mm -hmm. Regardless of whether or not it was complete, instantaneous noir, ongoing storytelling by one person throughout the story or not, I, I secede your point. <laughs> 
and give it at least one ding. However, the compensation across the one ding for the, what, I think there's 30 different points inside here that are freaking awesome. The scale has to be weighed. The only reason I'm going to go to a nine is because I know that there's something better coming. So I will give this episode a nine like you, but not because I hate this episode like you do. Oh, wow. Yeah, because giving it a nine means I hate it. (laughs) But because I know that there's something coming and I desperately want to give that one the score. But this this was stellar. Yep. This is another one of it's not the only episode I would ever want to show anybody of what is Agents of Shield, but damn this is good. Anybody that's got a knowledge of MCU, I would instantly show them this episode. Mm-hmm. I would show them this episode and because this is not only the episode to feed you Agents of Shield, this instantaneously puts you on the path to Agent Carterdom. This instantaneously leads you to any feature film that's ever talked about or showcased Hydra. Well, it's it, got a, it's it, got a direct tie to uh, the Avengers. Right. I and mean, it, a direct tie when they talk when they talked to Coulson about, well, I mean, you were the inspiration for the Avengers getting together. Yeah. You're important. Your death was important. Yeah. And I, I love all of that. I, I love the the tethers back, the connective tissue that's created inside of this episode is unfortunately unlike most of the other episodes, all, mm. all of the other episodes, I guess. I don't. I don't know, but it, it is spectacular. I'm still reserving the ten though, for something that is a coming because I do. I still have that feeling that something is a coming. I agree. I agree. That's where we ask you guys. What did you rate this episode? Season seven, the final season, episode four, out of the past. Let us know what you think by going over to our website. Again, that's Agents of Shield. TV. Fill in the quick web form and tell us what did you score this episode. Until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. We're thankful you were able to review this covert communication, reviewing the most recent episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a chronicle of the stories and soon-to-be legends on ABC. Be sure to tune in to our ongoing top-secret communication with agents all over the globe via our Facebook presence immediately. Facebook.com forward slash Shield Podcast to be the first to be made aware of Agents of Shield news, the arrival of our newest reviews, and more. The Agents of Shield Podcast, a super show for fans of superheroes. Uncover the mysteries, critical information, and reviews now by accessing agentsofshield.tv. That's agentsofshield.tv. End. This top secret two guys talking communication. for this one okay I was just thinking about this ready okay Sousa is the man that Cap saves and marries Peggy and the dance that Cap has it's just the dance so how fucking tragic is that dude what you're, you're you're suggesting that Cap didn't marry Peggy no just went back for the dance because it's what he promised
and that the life that's led because again I, I this is what I've I've never I've never understood is like hey look that's fucking Steve Rogers you know the guy that was Captain America well right yeah let us we've we've mentioned it a lot where Endgame is is concerned great movie fun oh love it to without death, question but damn it is it convoluted when it comes to the logic yeah of the, time travel yeah he's now he's an extra rook what do you do with an extra rook you put him into the life that has never been had the thing is though and and this show is actually proving the point of a lot of the arguments that we we would make uh, the fact that they're not changing the past to stop hydra from infiltrating shield it's the same logic that of course captain america doesn't stop 9-11 of course, Captain America doesn't stop Vietnam. And he because, doesn't because he's not there. Well, that's where that's where my theory goes. Right, he doesn't because he's not there. Well, then where the hell was he? That's another question that needs mm. to be answered. Now, mm. will they ever answer that? I don't know.